0: Welcome to The Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create and grow income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Are you tired of trading your time for money? You desire freedom today instead of retirement in 10, 20, or 30 years? I'm MC Lobster, and this is The Cashflow Ninja. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lobster here, and welcome to another episode of The Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today. In Today's show, we're going to look at a playbook, the playbook for getting started in self storage. With me is returning guest AJ Osborne, an absolute cash flow ninja, <laughs> investor, business owner. He has an amazing story. If you have not listened or checked out his previous episode, go to cashflowninja.com and just type in AJ Osborne and you'll find the previous episode with him. AJ, always great to see you.
1: Hey, you too. Thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. Yeah, great to connect. For folks that
0: are not familiar with you and what you do, if you could please share a little bit about your background and journey with them.
1: We all love real estate um, and... You know, you have, and for the obvious reasons, cash flow. You know, we're like-minded people. You, cash flow ninja, and the cash flow freedom guy. We we just love it. We understand the power of it. Um, I ran businesses in the past. I did mergers acquisitions. Most of those were businesses that were based on sales, right? So I had people that would come in. We did insurance, different things like that. But all our assets went home at night. So at five o'clock, ninety percent of our assets were gone. And we hoped that the next day they would come back. There's some huge hurdles with that. And the biggest hurdle was that we lost the ability to compound. When we started analyzing, we looked at other asset types, and like, if we if I would have put my energy into this 15 years ago, I could have compounded out a rate from a cash-flowing asset that my work 10 years ago would have never left me. You'll be paying me today. And when we extrapolated that overall all this time, and we were blown away by it. And so you know, we started looking at diversifying and saying, how, how are we going to do this? How are we going to get into it? And there's so many opportunities in real estate. And that's why it's, you know, podcasts like yours are so important because people got to dive in. They got to understand the niches. They got to understand different ways that fit them and what's important, what's not. And I, and we did this. So we started diving into all of everything we could get our hands on, making just consuming content as much as we could. We stumbled on from our skills, which was helping others with businesses. We were consultative by nature. I I, I liked this idea of being able to turn a business around. I liked buying an underperforming business, turning it around, and I thought, I still want that uptick, right? And I didn't like this idea that I'd set something in and it would just give me a flat 6% and just, that was done, right? That worked for some, that wasn't for me. So I looked at an asset that I could do a value add strategy, which I know you've talked about on your podcast. And we looked at the same thing, not to dive too deep into it, but you guys can go back and listen to some of your episodes to talk about it, but buying an underperforming asset and turning it around. And certain assets were more, let's say pliable, right? Like certain ones I could buy and I could change the performance in that revenue quicker than other ones. Yeah. And this was due to market conditions, the asset cycles, all that kind of stuff. But for us, self-storage was that asset I, because I could effectively change the operations in a business quickly. And that in turn would change the revenue faster than in, let's say, something more like multifamily. Now, that also comes with downsides because it means you got to do the work to get it done. And diving into it, we developed a thesis. And the thesis was simple. This isn't real estate. This is a business. All these people own a real estate asset. Well, I'm going to come buy it, turn it into a business, what it's supposed to be. And that simple change, I got my business revenue plus I got the stability of an asset that I could compound and repeat. I got all the benefits of real estate. And, change, and, and adding in basic business principles into those assets, we had tremendous effect on the underlying revenue and could turn them around. So that, t- in turn, became this, this great thing for us. And that was our strategy. And we took this thesis, we bought a few facilities. We implemented all the things. And not only did we change the revenue fast, it it exploded in some instances. So we were hooked and they were stabilized afterwards. And we could create the stable uh, revenues. And then we would take them, refinance them or take the cash flow, put it back in and we do it again. And that was kind of the formula that we needed. I needed something that I could buy. It would be profitable. I could take the cash flows, reinvest them do it again at a known rate of return. And then I could just continue that. And the further along you get, the more that you do it, the bigger you go and the more it compounds and the faster it compounds. And, and I look, when I was looking at growth, there's two different kinds of growth. You have vertical and horizontal growth. So if you got, you know, your Y and X axis and you're looking around, a lot of people are growing vertically. They're trying to get an increase in their income right? I'm trying to get a raise. I'm trying to get a raise. I needed to increase horizontally per unit. So that's the beautiful thing about real estate. One thing that a lot of people missed and we didn't ever wanted to do is we wanted to combine the two. So you start out in small facilities, Right. And we started out and you get one or two or three, but then we buy a bigger one. And then as we went along, all of a sudden we're buying bankrupt super K-marts and converting them. We're doing you know $20 million developments. So vertically, we were growing as well as horizontally. And you can see the effect that that has on your income and what it does for lifestyle and everything else. And provides a type of freedom that I didn't have. And I was on a treadmill because my income... Could go away at any time. My clients could fire me. All this other kind of stuff could happen, and you know, and it did. And as we quick snippet for your for your listeners, I was running a a, a brokerage firm. Out of the blue, I became fully paralyzed. Um, so I lost most of my income. Luckily for me, th- four years prior, we had started to diversify into uh, physical assets that were returned us passive income, and that became my all my income. I was hooked to life support, breathing tubes, feeding tubes for months in the hospital. My life basically ended. Uh, There was a time where we didn't know that I would ever come out of it. I couldn't speak. I couldn't even communicate. So um, for a while, we didn't know whether I was going to live or die. But then after that, it was always a guess. We didn't know. So my boss flies in from Seattle from my job. She meets with me in the hospital while I'm sitting there in a bed paralyzed to inform me that my relationship with the company was over, which they had to, obviously. I'm lying in a bed completely paralyzed. I can't do my job. They got to find somebody else. That's my life. So it was okay, but still it is not fun losing 60% of your income. As I got better, there was the thought, and as years went by and I, and I got better, they, they never filled my position. And it was just like, I'm never gonna put myself in that position again. It's not worth the income. It's not worth, I need to stick to what I'm doing. And so since then we've just grown even more and we've uh, blown up our business and started a few others. But that's a quick, very <laughs> quick snippet of a long period of time, but. <laughs> the 1% grow
0: their business and investments every year. Regardless of the economy and marketplace, and pay very little or no taxes legally. Besides having the right mindset, elite strategies and tactics, and the council of elite wealth advisors, coaches, and mentors, they have access to opportunities that the rest of the population do not. If you're an accredited investor, we have a network that provides cash flow ninja listeners access to exclusive business and investment opportunities. To join our Investors Network, please apply at CashflowNinjaInvestorsNetwork.com. That's CashflowNinjaInvestorsNetwork.com. No, it's quite a quite a story. And again, I would highly recommend that uh, our listeners and our viewers go back and check out that episode where you really, really deep dive into it. As always, you just put so much value in into everything that you do. Um, and then you got into cell self-storage. So maybe let's start there. What was it that attracted you about self-storage and that specific niche uh, that interests you that, that became one of the, the areas that you went into?
1: So self-storage had a few things that we really like. What makes self-storage great is also what makes it really crappy. That is this, once again, idea that there are... So if I have a self-storage facility, let's say I have one that I bought and we have 10 different unit types, right? Then uh, we also have parking. We have all these different types of things. So we looked at this as you need to be on a main road right? Because you try by stuff, but you're a retail center. So when people come in, we sell boxes, we sell cutters, we sell all stuff. Then we've got to identify what they're needing. Are you moving or do this? So we have 10 by 20s, you have five by fives. So you're selling them products. And the more that I can sell them, the more value obviously they come. And then the longer I can keep them utilizing our services and our products, the better. There was so much we could do when we found a facility that they were acting like it was just a simple real estate thing where they just put somebody in a unit, they got the income and they stayed great. not working. We said, hold on, there's so much more you can do. And we looked at this as a major opportunity we could put in a little elbow grease into these assets and we could get a big return out of them. And that's what we did. And it had big effects because there's all sorts of different types of customers that utilize that you can identify. There's just so much you can do with it. Once again, though, that's one of the reasons maybe some people don't like it. So you could farm that out to third-party managers. We did that uh, for, for a time. It did not work well. and we took them back and that's when we really learned we got we to do this right. But you, you pay for that and you pay a lot. So if you're wanting to get the effect of the growth and you're wanting to capitalize on it, you know, you really need to know what you're doing and do it yourself, but it's nothing like everything in life. It's not complicated. I would much rather deal with, you know, 20 people coming in every single day, doing manager trainings and selling products and analyzing how much we have to sell and unit prices, how much they should be on any given month and, you know, things like that uh, than multifamily because I, I, it's intimidating to me. Absolutely. Now, if we're looking at the playbook for
0: the self storage space, what are some of the things that you can share? with folks uh, that's looking to get started because everyone has to get started somewhere, right?
1: Absolutely. And this is one of the things that I think people need to overcome. First of all, they think self-storage, these are huge assets. It's not like a single, single family home. There's a lot of complexity, all this kind of stuff. Well, you know, that's why we, we bring up this playbook and like there's a simple strategy to get started, to get in, ways to avoid uh, lingering uh, downsides. Self-storage has been very... It has been what I call the bell of the ball. A lot of people have super hyper interest in it. They think it's recession-proof, and lots of people are out building self-storage facilities. My friend Brian Page has created a cash flow machine generating over
0: $100,000 in six months without owning any real estate. His system consists out of renting properties from property owners and renting them out on Airbnb. His system is so simplistic, it can be managed by virtual assistants and yet so effective and powerful that it predictably it generates cash flow every month. Brian and I are hosting a webinar where he shares his system and how it generated over $100,000 in six months for him personally. You can access this life-changing webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash BNB. This is one of the greatest cash flow opportunities I've seen since I've started my podcast. Again, the URL is cashflowninja.com forward slash
1: BNB. People say, well, there's some, these drawbacks. And I'm like, there's an easy, simple way to go about this. And I'll break this down for your listeners. So if you're looking and saying, listen, I want to get started in this. How how do I do this? So first of all, you need to understand a few things. We need to talk about markets, what makes a good market and what makes a bad market. That's where everybody starts. Should I buy a self-storage facility here? Well, so you start with the markets. Is the market good? Then you go to the asset type. We're going to talk about these two things and break them down. First of all, let's start with what a self-storage facility is. Now I'm going to break this down into three different levels. The first level is you have small facilities, right? In usually smaller towns, let's say ten thousand square feet, maybe even less to thirty thousand square feet. They are not managed. There are like there's no on-site people that work there. There's no living there, and they are usually sold on price. They're you know trying to be cheaper units that kind of stuff. Then you have these mid-level units. Let's call it you know, 40,000 to 60,000 square feet, 35,000 to 60,000 square feet. And then you have the big boys that are 60 plus thousand square feet, all the services, they look like hotels, right? You don't start up there. Okay. That's right. I didn't do that. I, my, my, Our first facility was 600,000 for it. It was in uh, a place called Bonner's Ferry, Idaho, which no one's ever heard of because there's more grizzly berries, uh, grizzly bears than there are humans there. Um, yeah. Teeny market in the mountains of Idaho. That's really where you go. Don't so because storage is competitive. There's different players, there's different assets. Okay, don't go somewhere where you're competing. So don't go to you know Dallas, where they're building millions of facilities or, you know, uh up in the Northwest. I mean, find a good market, right? And then start out small with the small, smaller asset. So we get to the market. Mark, what makes a good market? It's competition. That's the only thing you need to focus on. There's all sorts of ways that people could say, oh, it's based upon this square foot. I, own, I have facilities in p- places that have under $8 square foot per capita. And then I have facilities that are in markets that have over 15 square feet per capita or 20 square feet per capita. Start where the competition is low. And two, don't go where there's REITs. Don't go where there's big players. So you have more third tier markets in the United States than any other market. Why go jump in with all these big guys, right? Unless you're a fund, unless you have the ability to do so. That's a different conversation. But the playbook for someone starting in, go to a market where there's small facilities. There's not a lot of competition. You're buying them almost always under building cost. And so you can identify ones that are very, very mismanaged in those markets and that need very little CapEx. So capital expenditures to improve them. That's the first thing you do. Go to a third-tier market. It's got a good population. We need to rephrase that. Good population. I'm not talking 100,000 plus. For a right. third-tier market, you want a stable, not dying market, okay? And there's lots of these. I mean, we, you say third-tier markets and most people recoil. They're like, oh, geez, no, that's a sure way to die. There's plenty of third-tier markets out there that are growing steadily every single year. Yeah. There's suburbs of a bigger one or they're just in a good place, right? It may be a college town, whatever it may be. Um, and then that's the second thing you need to look for. So you need to look for why are these people employed and will this be around in 10 years? That's a very important question. So look at the historical parts of that city. Maybe there's 10,000 people in it and maybe the, it grows every single year just by a little, but it's a good, steady market. Go into that market, identify all the storage facilities in town. And then when you look at all the storage facilities in town, Find ones that are smaller that you can get your foot into that maybe you need to put $100,000, $150,000 down, okay? Now, I think that's much safer than putting $100,000, $150,000 down into a rental property. Why? Because for if I put my $600,000 facility, let's say it has 60 or 100 units in it. Well, that's 60 or 100 people that are paying me every month as opposed to buying a single family home in California, renting it out. And that's one person. And the moment that they leave, my expenses are still ticking, right? That's- yeah. That's way more risk to me. So you buy the small facility, but what you're looking for is you're looking for the one that has the lowest rates in town. MC Lobshire, the
0: creator of the Cashflow Ninja and Cashflow Coach at Producers Wealth, where we help our clients integrate infinite banking with their business and investments. To learn how you can create your own banking system to turbocharge your investments and business in 30 days or less, Go to your own banking That's
1: your own banking system.com. Then what you do is you buy it off a cap rate, and that's a capital expenditure because then you're paying what the revenues are coming in. Okay. So you've identified this nice market where it's overlooked. You're buying a facility that's the lowest rent in town and you're buying it off the revenue. So it doesn't yep. matter. Third tier markets, you usually get higher cap rates anyways. So let's say you're getting an eight, nine cap and it's low revenues. You buy it. You immediately come in and maybe you make a website. Maybe you do simple things, simple things, right? You clean it up a little and then you get the rates up to what the next, what all the other guys are in town. There's nowhere for them to go. And occupancies are all high. That's one of the things you look for, not a lot of competition. So you're buying it at 100% occupancy, which it shouldn't be at 100%, but in most third tier markets, they pride themselves. And so you buy it at hundred percent occupancy. You're going to get rid of that occupancy. You're going to cut it down to 90%. Why? Because you're going to become the top price leader in town, but the spread is 30% of your gross income. And so what happens is that vacancy is just, it doesn't even matter in the big pictures things. And so that spread that you get on this little facility is huge. And because you bought it on a cap rate, you go back to the bank You say, let's just refinance this at the cap rate I bought it by. You take your money back out because all you did was increase it to what market rates are today, and then you go buy another one. It's cash flowing, right? It's now it's got higher rents. It's stable. There's no competitors coming to down. There's nowhere for those people to go. It's a great asset, and it was just poorly run or mismanaged. And I'm not once again. I'm not talking. I'm not even saying sell boxes. I'm not saying buy insurance. Nothing like that at all. We're just saying tenants that are in there. Okay. And then go on, take that money and go do it again. So I have several people. I have a, I have like this inner circle group. and several people in these, this group, they, they have these all over the town. And I I got two of them. We had one on my, uh, on my podcast and he has eight and he doesn't ever want to go into a big city ever. He's like, I don't, I want to be overlooked. I don't want things. And it is a wonderful strategy. He's going to end up and he'll have 20 facilities eventually. And they'll be in small overlooked town and he's going to have this portfolio, 20 plus million dollars in self-storage and he'll be traveling around the world and no one will even know he exists, right? It's a wonderful strategy, flow strategy. And so that's the first step is identifying the market. And then you need to identify the competition, right? So we talked about that, making sure you're not the top. You don't want the best facility. You want the lowest paying one at the highest occupancy. Then from there... You want to talk about managing it. Now, this is the other. This is the other thing. How how it's being run. How it's managing it. Now, most of these people. What you need to identify. I always look for the ones that don't have a website. Eighty percent of all the people that we get in a storage facility comes from online. When you identify the guy that's a hundred percent full, the lowest rates in town, and doesn't have a website he's missing out on 80% of the market and he's still 100% full. So you can up rates dramatically, get them in line with what they should be in the yep. market, do a little online, go talk to your buddy that'll make your website for 500 bucks. Keyword the thing for the local area. I mean, you may have what two other websites in town that are doing it. So all of a sudden now you're up with the three highest priced ones just because people know that you're there. It's a really quick, simple way. And then if you want, pay someone to do some Google AdWords for you. Maybe get out there even a little more, put a 50, hundred bucks a month into Google ads, you know, something simple and allow ways for them to get online. There's so much you can do from there, but you don't need to do more if you don't want. And that's a strategy that is extremely overlooked and people aren't doing. It's how we started out. And it's a, it's a great way to put your to, uh, foot into the market with very low very low risk. And a lot of people say that, you know, third, third mark, markets are really risky, which this is why third tier markets are risky. Third tier markets are risky because there's a lack of growth. But if you're buying on cash flow, you don't care necessarily about that huge appreciation growth. And you're going to get the appreciation from how you change the underlying revenue. That's why it doesn't matter to me because you already know what the appreciation is in the market. You can take the rent of a 10 by 10 that you're buying and say that it's $50 and his is $80. So that $30 is your appreciation that one immediately when you buy it, you're going to change it. Immediately you get that appreciation, cash flows go up, you refinance, take it out, and then it'll cash flow and pay pay for you. All your money's out of it and you go and do it again. That's how you eliminate the risk. Yes, if you're buying, you know, a four cap in a third-tier market that's not growing, there's nowhere to go with it. So, don't do that. Go so, on. don't gamble. Don't risk anything like that. It's measurable. It's knowable. You can go in with confidence and get that forced appreciation, you know, and get it immediately. And so, I think that's how you, that's how you get rid of that risk. And make sure the town's not going to die. And two, another way to limit the risk, dude, you need to go talk with the city. Make sure there's no plans of anyone building a self-storage facility. Lots of times, these cities, they don't. And they won't for years. You won't have people come in and, buy, and build the facilities. Why? Because you're buying at a square footage that is less than they can build for right yeah. now. So yeah. if they're building at 60 bucks a square foot, but you're buying at 24, how are they going to compete with you? They can't. So nobody builds. And that's a beautiful spot to be in.
0: Yeah, there's so much to unpack here. But just to recap, you touched on the market, right? Which yeah. the third tier markets. And again, uh, another thing um, that folks can also do, just just as with any real estate, are people moving in the area? Are they fleeing out of the area, right? Mm-hmm. Very, very um, basic stuff. Are there companies, are there em- Employers in the area, uh, different industries, the asset itself, knowing that this is a business. As you mentioned, one of the biggest lessons on your journey is that realizing that this is a business, it needs to be treated as a business, um, stabilizing it, looking for opportunities, and then managing it properly to increase the value, the forced appreciation in there. You know, one of the things that um, I was just thinking as you were sharing this, a previous guest, Doug Casey, talks about it too. He doesn't like Level playing fields. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he likes <laughs> uneven playing fields. Yeah, He's on Which this is exactly. If you're getting started in the business, you definitely don't want to compete with the, the folks already up and running. Um, yeah. When you're just starting your journey in this in this in this niche, you want to go where you have some sort of uh, competitive advantage or there's something that you could use to utilize to your advantage in these markets. Life settlement investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually, but also diversify their capital from any economic
1: You know, and, that, and that's important for people to understand because in self-storage, let's say multifamily, right? Multifamily based upon quality and you got a two bathroom, three bedroom, they're all going to be around the same price as long as quality is equal. That yeah. is not how self-storage works. You can go into a city and you can find two facilities, same quality, a mile from each uh, each other and their revenues will be dramatically different. And so I know I have a model where I can just go say, hey, I'm going to put this under contract, get the financials, I'll level my model that I know that I can perform that asset over, not in the future, I'm not saying that it's going to appreciate or that rents are going to rise. Every time I hear that, I'm like, you know, I'm talking about actually today and I can overlap that, the spread between where they're at and where they can perform at in today's market. That's, I'm not gambling here. That's known to me. And we've done this time and time again. And if it doesn't work, I don't buy it. I don't, I don't go, oh, but this is an up and coming market. Rents in five years are gonna be great. I'm like, I don't know that. That's gambling and I don't gamble. This is the one
0: asset clause in niche too, AJ, that in, if you look at market cycles in the economy, uh, in economic booms, it's packed, right? People are buying so much stuff, they're overflowing and they're moving, it needs to go somewhere in recessions again people are moving again where are they putting all the excess stuff maybe you can speak to uh just speak a little bit to that too yeah uh, your your comments um and then also to the other thing that i also just wanted to point out because you mentioned a couple of times you raised the rents and people would the first initial response would be would, you know but they'll just leave no not no. if you're the lowest price number one and number two moving stuff out of storage is, is quite
1: an operation. It's renting U-Hauls. It's moving. I mean, and, and you look me at the cost. That, if I got a 10 by 10 for 50 bucks and I raise your rent 10%, how much is that? <laughs> yeah, by exactly. box? Are you going to go get all your buddies, their trucks, and you're going to go spend what, 200 bucks on a U-Haul to move it out? Yeah, That doesn't make sense. You're not going to um, do it. Right. especially not going to do it in January when it's snowing. So, you know, it's, you, you got to look at how the consumer and I, you know, I'm all about margin of safety. Warren Buffett talks about this a lot, have a margin of safety. Yep. And that's why you buy the underperforming facilities. Because when you look at market cycles, if you look at the, uh, you have short-term and long-term debt cycles and how assets have performed over time, how storage performs, you know, is it, it, so you can effectively combat different market cycles by attracting certain types of customers. It's, I, I would say it's recession resistant, but what hurts self-storage is not necessarily my, my, market cycles, it's self-storage. Yeah. The only thing that's going to kill us is ourselves. And I say this a lot because it's important. I bought a lot of facilities that went bankrupt. They went bankrupt because they built when they shouldn't have built and they built an over overbuilt markets. And those do you have uh, right now in Dallas, you have uh, multiple facilities that the banks are taking back. We're the best economic period ever. And banks are taking back storage facilities. And you're going, they weren't doing that in 2010. So I'm like, this is easy stuff to avoid. Just don't just don't go into markets when they're building in, on every corner. And it, it surprises me that human nature gets in the way. They get emotional. And you see this in markets. I got I got a market that um, we're in and we're not building or buying at all in this market. I just happen to live at it, um, which is in Idaho. It's in the Treasure Valley. They're at 31 square feet per capita with new inventory coming on the market to give you any idea the amount of storage that is. That is every single man, woman, and child that are moving into the area. It makes no logical sense, right? Which is fine for us because I'm going to buy facilities when it turns. Um, And so we moved to other markets. I'm going to markets where you got 30 square feet here. There's markets that have seven or less. And they're all the facilities are 100% full. So people make weird decisions emotionally. And that's what hurts you. The asset class is great. If you buy in a good market, you buy a great asset and you just run it decently, they are recession resistant and you can survive recessions just fine. We did. We saw basically no effect. We were in third tier markets. I wasn't in the boom markets when the recession hit. I was in a city of 2000 people. We saw no effect or on our NOI, right? Then I went into the boom markets, which was like the Boise market, Idaho. And I bought facilities that were built 150,000 square feet for 10 cents on the dollar because they couldn't fill up. And you're sitting here going, but that's the bigger market. So in self-storage, you hurt yourself. And if you can just not do that, then you're right. This asset class will be great in future scum. And that's an easy thing to avoid it's simple supply and demand and we don't get you know outside the na- uh, the laws of nature right it's mm-hmm. if there's more people that you know uh, or there's more units than people that want to buy them it's going to be empty um, that is the first and number one thing other than that you go through different market cycles people move and when people stop moving they start downsizing we've seen it Always, it's always kind of happened. And so what's happened because of that though is self-storage had got a rep where you could build it and they will come. That has caused an eruption in the uh, development cycle. The last two years, there's been twice as much storage developed as the next highest period in any cycle previously every year, year on year. You're talking about the difference of like 20 billion To 80 billion a year being developed. And guess what? Almost all of it is concentrated in a few areas. The Northwest, you have Seattle, you have Portland, you have Idaho, you have Dallas, you have Fort Worth, you have Nashville, you have some of these hot spots where out of the 80 billion that they're doing, 50 billion is coming from it. It's just ridiculous. So just don't go to those markets. Well, that's great because how many markets are in the United States? Hundreds of thousands, just avoid. 15 of
0: them, and you'll be fine. AJ, always great to speak with you. Where can listeners and viewers learn more about you? Where can they follow you? And if they really want to deep dive into self-storage, where can they listen to that excellent podcast of yours?
1: Yeah, self-storage income um, is where we, we teach people all about the playbooks, all about if you're starting to get in, if you want to get into bigger facilities, go into all the nuances. It's it's specifically focused on self-storage. Um, so self-storage income, look us up on anything, Spotify, that stuff. Uh, Also too, you can go there, email me directly or go to Instagram, AJ Osborne. You can find me there um, or Freedom. The emails go straight to my phone and messages go straight to my phone. Happy to talk to anybody.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on the show again and just providing so much value for my listeners and my viewers. Again, it's always a pleasure to connect. Thank you so much again, my friend.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate all you do.